Welcome to Aspen Weight History, and it's our usual show with our resident expert, Mr. Callum Waite. And how are you today, sir? Oh. I'm very good, thanks, Pops. A, how are you? A, a very good, a very good um, you, salute. That's the word. I was going to remember what it was. It's a salute. I don't expect the Vikings and the Saxons did much saluting, but there we are. So um, today we're on part seven of our exciting and informative eight-part series on the birth of the English nation. Um, I think we're getting to the really exciting bits, actually. Um, uh, the defining moments in British history, British and English history, um, have some uh, particularly uh, interesting next week when we get on to Hastings, because I have some very, very, very interesting uh, uh, angles on that from a from a personal point of view of my own experience on the battlefield, which, as you know, uh, was quite was quite marked. Um, so today, anyway, we've we've basically got to the end of Ethered the Unready, uh, the Unread, as as he was, uh, his reign, um, towards the end, and and we're going to go up to uh, Harold Godwinson being crowned on the sixth of January, ten sixty six, is where we're going to end today. We're not going to cover too much stuff about the intrigues of the Godwinsons and William, etc., because I think that's uh, important to lead us up to how we got to the Battle of Hastings in the first place, okay? If that's all right with you. And um, uh, so we, basically the start of the period, uh, so the, the start of the period, I guess, is is the end of the first House of Wessex era. Um, and as we've discussed all the way through from our first programme, uh, we've got the uh, the birth of the, the basically the Anglo-Saxon people coming into, the, uh, into England and effectively taking over uh, the... Uh, the, the original majority Britons effectively becoming almost faceless uh, and completely either killed uh, or assimilated totally into Anglo-Saxon culture. We then have uh, other Northern Europeans in the Vikings competing with the Anglo-Saxons for, for territory and a, a struggle then going on for uh, a couple of hundred years jostling for power um, etc etc and that, that reaches uh, a high point today so uh, throughout uh, the end of um, Ethelred's reign we have um, the the invasion by Sven Forkbeard uh, who became king of England for five weeks and then that was continued by his son Canute um, who uh, basically uh, wanted to become the king after Sven uh, died uh, but uh, the the Witten and the dominant nobles in Anglo-Saxon culture stuck with with Ethelred, and then when Ethelred died in 1016, uh, his son Edmund Ironside, or to give him his regnal title, King Edmund II, um, King Edmund II uh, became the king, uh, and he was the king for 222 days. Uh, his his um, Rain was opposed, of course, by Canute, who wanted to be the king instead. Uh, Edmund Ironside, just to point out, Ethelred was no warrior. So um, Edmund Ironside, from quite an early age, uh, was effectively left in charge of the battlefield. And he got the name, the epithet, I suppose it's called, uh, Ironside, obviously because of his great bravery and no little prowess. So tell us, tell us uh, what you know about Edmund Ironside, Mr. Callum. Yeah, well, he he was thought well of by everyone, um, both in Britain 
uh, and by his enemies, the Vikings as well. And uh, you said he, he became, um, when Ethelred died on the 23rd of April, 1016, Eben was pronounced king. Um, and he fought five crucial battles against the Canute's armies, several of which he won. Um, but on the 18th of October, the Battle of Assenden, he was defeated. But Canute respected him so much and uh, Edmund was so supported by the Britons that um, Edmund was actually made King of Wessex. So Canute said, I'll take everything north of Wessex and, and you can be King of Wessex. Unfortunately, as you see a bit of a recurring theme with a lot of these uh, mm-hmm. the, these things, Edmund died shortly thereafter, on the 30th of November, um, leaving two sons, Edward and Edmund. However, when Canute became all of England, he exiled Edmund Ironside's two sons. Yeah, if I, I just want to add something there. So uh, what's significant about uh, the Battle of Assenden is Canute's victory was only made possible by the treachery of Earl Striona of Mercia, uh, who basically rode off the battlefield um, uh, when the battle started. Uh, and he was obviously holding the left flank, I think it was. And um, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and actually, if, again, you know, um, if you go onto YouTube, there's a very, very good documentary on uh, Striona, um, who was basically used through Athelred's reign as sort of his 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 enforcer might be a word to use so strona did a lot of quite unpleasant behind the scenes sorting out um but ultimately um obviously decided that um canute was where the power was and um effectively backed the canute horse against edmund um i just i just think it's worth worthwhile for the listeners because it's quite entertaining uh there is there is quite a notable legend about Edmund Ironside which is that he was actually killed sitting on the toilet um I don't know if you've read about this so um it's 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 sort of gone down into folklore that um uh, Canute actually was responsible for Edmund's demise and that some bloke was I mean it's a horrible thought was sitting in the cesspit uh and of course you know as as um was it, you know because obviously in those days they didn't have proper toilets and um you know, as I think uh, more reasoned debate would suggest, um, it would be very difficult for anyone lying in such conditions to actually recognise the king's arse from anybody else's, for instance. But nonetheless, um, there is a there is a significant um, legend, or what we'd call it, that Edmund Ironside was martyred uh, by having uh, either a sword or a spear thrust into his bottom. Um, I think most most reasonable historians um, consider he died of natural causes. And of course, you and I have discussed this on just about every show. Um, you know, Edmund Ironside was only something like twenty three, wasn't he, or something like that? Um, maybe. Yeah. So you know, it, it 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 it's it's very frustrating that you've got such a guy who's who's obviously such a warrior. Um, you know, and able to to operate with great physical strength, and, uh, and and it's just he died of natural causes. Yeah, he was he was he was twenty six years old, and uh, yeah, you're right. Um, I, I was I was interested thinking about this because one one of the legends, as you said, one of the legends is that he was um, stabbed through the arse <laughs> very unceremoniously, but another one is that he was shot from a crossbow. He, yeah. someone and shot him with a crossbow and I wondered if this was George R.R.R. R. R. Martin's um, inspiration for how Tyrion Lannister yeah. killed Tywin 
Arthur in Game of Thrones. Yeah, I know that. I know that um, George R. 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 Martin took a lot of his inspiration from the history of Great Britain, in, including obviously more famously the War of the, the, the Roses. But um, I digress. But um, yeah, I, I did think that there must be some sort of connection there. He maybe liked that story yeah. and thought that was a, you know, I don't know if romantic is is the word, but yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so. One, 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 Hmm. Sorry, I was just going to say, one final interesting piece of trivia on Edmund Ironside was that the sword he wielded was actually um, a very prestigious and ancient sword. It was actually the sword of King Offer of Mercia hmm. from several hundred years before, and that had been um, sort of passed down to him and handed to him with sort of great ceremony. So I think uh, that, that for me is quite cool to think that he was wielding this. Um, it would have probably been seen almost as like a supernatural or religious hmm. Um, relic but um i mean that must have been the closest thing in in britain to sort of like a real life excalibur i imagine so um so as callum uh, rightly says uh, at the battle of assenden uh, effectively the country was divided up uh, between edmund and uh, canute with edmund uh, being given the uh, traditional uh, heartland of alfred uh, and of course with edmund's death that all went away uh, Canute became the uh, unquestionable uh, king of all of England and um, and uh, became the king for uh, the best part of 19 years. And I think very sensibly, uh, one of the first things that Canute did, and I think he was a little bit younger than her, um, he, he married uh, Ethelred's widow, Emma of Normandy, um, and uh, that in itself started off quite an interesting uh, thing. We've, again, we've talked in previous episodes about uh, the sort of power struggle and what happens when you have uh, children in royal houses belonging to different mothers, particularly uh, that that even you know, if, we, if we look at it today, um, you know, with the the law of primogenitor, uh, you know, the eldest son would be considered to be the, the, the king bee, so to speak. But in those days, uh, it tended to be the children of the living queen uh, who were in, yeah. in, in, in a powerful position. Um, so, um, yeah, so he, he, he very sensibly married Emma, who's a little bit older than him. But from what we can tell, uh, they actually had, they had um, quite, a, a, quite a decent life together. So um, yeah, tell us all about Canute the Great then, Callum. Right. Yeah. So his coronation was in London in um, 1017. Um, yeah, he's a very interesting king, Canute. You can definitely see um, there's a change in, in England during his time. Um, Canute was Christian himself, but uh, he was he was quite like an interesting for a Christian. He certainly wasn't at all like, a, you know, like Alfred the Great or like Edward the Elder or like Athelstan, people from, um, you know, the, the century beforehand. It's... Um, he he decided to take two queens, which was highly controversial, obviously in in um, Christian society. He um, had a hand fa like a pagan fat hand fasting in in Northumbria with a lady called Elgifu, and as you said, he was also married to um, Emma of Normandy in the south. So he basically said like Emma, you stay down in Exeter, Elgifu will be up in in, Nor in uh, Northumbria, and I'll sort of go between you as I please. He also openly had a concubine who he would sort of like take everywhere with him and was, would like quite openly, you know, get frisky with at <laughs> banquets. And stuff. <laughs> but it's, I think it's, I think it's quite, I think it's quite funny. Um, he seemed to, I don't know if he just, uh, 
realized that the, the church were quite um I'm trying to think of the way to describe it would, would turn a blind eye to everything he did as long as he sort of appeased them so basically he he took the uh the stance that he would he would do what he wanted but he just poured a ridiculous amount of money into the church's coffers so in that respect the church absolutely loved him he he rebuilt churches all over england he absolutely you know showered them with gifts and showered them with gold so even though um he otherwise would have been very unpopular with the church they they actually really liked him for, for this reason so why do you think he was called the great well um he was he was known as uh, the emperor of the north sea so um obviously he was the only person in history to have been the king of both England, Norway, Denmark, and um, parts of, of Sweden as well, which was uh, an amazing accomplishment. You've got to bear in mind um, that by this point, for hundreds of years, various Viking warlords and kings had been trying to take over England and, and had failed for one reason or another, um, whereas Canute actually finally accomplished this. He was you know, the, the, the first um, and, and by far the greatest um, Viking king of England. Yeah, of course, um, for the benefit of listeners, um, as we said, the House of Wessex uh, terminated with the death of Ironside and the House of Denmark, uh, its brief day in the sun, um, began with with Canute. Um, I think probably the most famous story, which, which certainly um, when I was growing up, everyone was taught at school, was this very famous uh, scene of Canute sitting on his throne in front of the sea. And of course, uh, very wrongly, um, a lot of people basically say, you know, it was a sign of his madness and he was he was trying to, um, to stop the sea. But what was he actually doing, Callum? Oh, sorry, I'm not sure. Oh yeah, I don't. Sorry, <laughs> I assumed. Yes, yeah, so so effectively. Um, so there we go. I thought I've I've, I've I've rumbled our resident expert here. So fortunately, I know the answer to this. Yeah. So um, yeah. So basically, um, as I say, can you positioned himself on the shore on his throne and 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 sat in front of the sea, and 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 his point was uh, that even he, being the omnipotent. Uh, man, the, the king of England, he had no power over nature, so it was actually it was actually a well, pious gesture. Um, whereas um, it's sort of it's a bit like the, the point about Ethelred the Unready. The the Unread point has been uh, completely taken out of context. So uh, it's quite often portrayed that can you you know sort of like stop sea you know. Uh, and in fact, what he was what he was actually showing is that he had no control over the sea. He was just a man yeah. like any other man. Um, yes, he had power over subjects, but that was that was all. So that's really interesting. And they, I'd never heard of that. So um, that's <laughs> a really nice. Little, yeah, yeah, I can remember being taught that story as a as a as a little boy, actually. So yeah, so as Callum says, um, I think the, the other thing that's remarkable not only was Canute uh, the first, uh, maybe only king, to have been king of England, Denmark, and Norway. Um, I think I'm right in saying that up to that point, no Danish king had also been king of Norway. Uh, and I think the opportunity to become the king of Norway sort of came about almost by opportunism because the Danes were sort of relentless, might be a word to use, 
they were mm. relentlessly uh, wore, wore down the, the Norwegians. And of course, not, having said that, uh, which we will come on to next week, obviously Norway then, uh, very soon after that, went on to have probably its most famous ever king in history, uh, Harald Hardrada, who will play mm. a huge part. Uh, huge being a good word, because Harald Hardrada was in himself huge. Uh, and I know mm. that you're quite a big admirer of his. So um, I don't think there's much else to talk about, can you, unless you've got any other facts, Cal? Um, no, other than, like, you know, he was supposed to be exceptionally tall and strong and charismatic. Apparently he was a very good-looking man, um, sort of very admired. Um, as I said, there was certainly a bit of a change in um, in the way that England was ran during this time. It, it probably... There were certain sort of acts that, that were t took place that were probably quite barbaric um, compared to how things were, were traditionally seen as in, in Sax by, by the by the Anglo-Saxon kings. Obviously, the the Anglo-Saxon kings took great pride in trying to be very like civilized, you know, and they wanted yeah they wanted everything to be very civilized and lawful. Whereas Canute was very much more, you know, Canute wasn't afraid to sort of scalp somebody if they if it, they. Uh, if they opposed him, you know, which is, is, is quite interesting. Yes. So, um, Canute died in, uh, November 1035. Uh, and he was buried very interestingly in Shaftesbury. Um, hmm. which again, um, for those of you, I was talking, we were talking about Wareham, I think last week. So Shaftesbury, again, when you come, when you go, come into Shaftesbury, I, I've driven through Shaftesbury many, many times in my life. Uh, so again, it says "Welcome to Shaftesbury, uh, ancient Saxon hill fort town" or something. Um, so it's a, a lovely, charming uh, town in in Dorset that um, that was basically extremely prominent um, in 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 this time in history. Uh, Canute um, was replaced by uh, his son Harold the um, First, who mm. who had the rather wonderful name Harold Harefoot. Do we do we know yeah. do we know anything about why he was called that? Yeah, they think that basically it meant that he was fleet-footed, so he was very fast. <laughs> fast. I wonder if they had the Olympics, you know. And here comes Harold. He's 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 running past Usain. Uh, yeah, some people think that he had the um, two hundred meter world record before Usain. It yeah. stood until uh, two thousand and twenty, whenever it was. <laughs> I think one of one of the things I, I find very interesting about um, even this period of history, you know, bearing in mind we're now getting into the ten hundreds, so we've we've come a long way past Offa and you know the the the, the early Saxon kings. I yeah, think I, if, I think if you were to walk, if you and I were to walk through the streets of London, say, uh, and we were able to question ten thousand random. Uh, Let's, call, let's say British subjects now, not holidaymakers. Uh, yeah. I, I suspect that out of 10,000 people, uh, probably as, as few as 10, maybe, uh, would know that Harold Harefoot was King of England. You know, it's literally... Yeah. I mean, uh, it's even for people that are quite into their history, um, obviously what you tend to see is that people nowadays are, are, are sort of like specialists in history, you know, so you'll be an expert of like the medieval times, the Renaissance period. But even for like historians, I, I don't think a lot of historians would know much about Harold Harefoot at all. So I think I'm right in saying that there was quite quite a lot of jostling for power between Harold and his brother, Harthur Canut. Is that right? Yeah. So um, as we said, um, Canute's 
two wives were El Gifu of Northumbria and Emma of Normandy. Now, when Canute married Emma of Normandy, he basically agreed that his sons from her would be the legitimate heirs to his throne, even though his sons from El Gifu of Northumbria were actually older. So what we but what we see is, um, you know, as you said, a bit of a jostling for power. So around um, so Canute's sons by El Gifu were Svein Knutsen and Harold Herford, who we're talking about now. His sons by Emma of Normandy were Harthur Canute, and um, he had a daughter also called Gunhilda. So what we see during this time is, is um, Harthur Canute and Svein Knutsen, the half-brothers, they were in um, Denmark trying to suppress a, a, Nor um, a Norwegian uprising. So Norway was trying to invade Denmark. They didn't want this, um, obviously. Canute had basically promised Svein that he would be king of Norway and half the Canutes that he would be king of Denmark and England. So while uh, half the Canute and Svein were busy in Scandinavia or having massive battles and stuff like that, they were actually gone for, I think it was five years. This obviously left England without a king for, for a certain amount of time. And, and uh, after not very much time at all, probably about a year, Harold Herford started um, trying to lay his claim as King of England. Yeah, I think um, something we ought to, we ought to pass it. So um, Edward the Confessor, who was the, uh, this, I think this is quite relevant, this, because Edward the Confessor's mother was, of course, Emma of Normandy um, through Emma's uh, marriage to Ethelred. Uh, and Edward himself was the seventh son uh, of that union, uh, and he was actually born uh, 13 years before Harold and 15 years before Harthur Knut. Um, mm. And what's very interesting from my research, uh, which I don't fully understand, is um, is Emma of Normandy, um, even after the demise of Harold, Harefoot, um, she actually preferred uh, the claims of Harthur Knut over her own son, Edward. Um so that's quite quite interesting that so she obviously uh decided i don't know to row in with the um uh, the danish connection shall we say over the the saxon one so yeah I, I can imagine it might have been something as simple as um i mean maybe you know she, she genuinely really respected and loved canute we don't know but one thing that we we do know is that at the time of canute's life canute was probably the most powerful man in all of Europe. Um, and maybe she was intimidated by the power that Harthur Canute could potentially wield. Maybe she was afraid that her eldest, you know, her, her elder sons would be, you know, could, could be killed or, or something like that. But we're, we're going to come into that in a second. Um, but one thing I want everyone to think about while they're listening to this is really the, the stage for 1066 is being set. As we're, as we're discussing all these things here, <laughs> and you'll be able to put together yourself later on the stage for 1066 is very much being set during the course of this episode how so well so for example Harold Harefoot becomes king um now Emma's youngest son from Athelred to the Unready was called Alfred ah yes. and uh, he he um invaded England with a considerable force 
um, in um, 1037, I believe, and tried to become king of England, essentially. Now, he failed in this, and uh, Harold Harefoot had Alfred captured um, and escorted by Earl Godwin to, um, to Eli. Now, on the way, um, he was blinded quite savagely and died of these wounds. Um, and this is important because I think this is the first time we're mentioning Earl Godwin, um, who had supported Harold Harefoot's um, claim, claim to the throne. Um, but this angered Emma of Normandy, obviously hugely knowing that um, Harold Harefoot had blinded and, and, and as a result killed her son. And there'll definitely be some recompense for this later on in, in the stories today. Yeah, no, I think I'm glad you told that story because um, uh, so, so Al Alfred, um, Alfred was supposed to be uh, very close to Edward. So Edward yeah. was very close to Alfred. Um, so I think probably given what you've just said, we, we, we need to talk a bit about Godwin at this point. So uh, uh, so uh, Harold, Harold II, uh, or Harold Godwinson, uh, as in the King of England that fought William the Conqueror at Hastings, his father was just loosely known as Godwin. Um, and uh, Godwin uh, started out life, I believe, as a a sort of a minor Saxon noble in Wessex. I think that's right in saying. And um, effectively through um, his, his uh, I suppose, his, his intrigue and his prowess uh, managed to uh, become effectively the dominant, uh, the dominant uh, non-royal person in England. That's probably the best way to put it. Uh, and of course, go on. Oh, no, I was, I was just going to say, I know that one of the um, really notable notable reasons why this happened was because um, during Canute's reign in England, um, you know, there were, there were several big skirmishes that happened in Scandinavia. And um, Godwin went with Canute to Scandinavia and he basically was by ended up being by far the most impressive person along with Canute on this on these campaigns. It really impressed Canute. Um, Godwin took a lot of initiative, led a lot of battles where Canute was needed otherwhere, otherwere, in other places, <laughs> and um, really, really impressed Canute by winning lots of battles, um, you know, through both might of, of um, arm and of uh, mind. Um, so this really put him in good stead with Canute, and obviously Canute just, he just rose through the ranks essentially until he was the most powerful man in England apart from Canute by the time of Canute's death. Yeah, I think, so, yeah, so you, you reminded me something we probably should have spoken about earlier. Um, towards the end of Canute's reign, um, he, he preferred to reside in Denmark. Uh, so he was very rarely to be seen in England. And as a result of that, he divided England up into, uh, I suppose, roughly um, the ancient kingdoms. So you had East Anglia, uh, Northumbria, Mercia and Wessex. And... Um, mm. I think Godwin himself was obviously effectively the Earl of Wessex. Um, I think I'm right in saying that Harold Godwinson um, originally was given East Anglia. And um, what, one of uh, Godwin's sons, I think he was Swain, uh, Swain, uh, Swain sorry, um, who, who has gone down in history as not being a very, um, as a very weak and treacherous sort of chap, um, was given Mercia. So, um, 
So basically, the the Godwin family ended up pretty much in control of all of England. Um, so you know, it's, it's it's rather set the scene. So what what, what, what so at the moment we so we've got um, we've got uh, Hereford. I suppose we need to talk as well about um, uh, what Edward's doing while all, all this is going on as well. So um, uh, yeah, I think I think I'm right in saying that when Alfred was blinded, as you say, and died. Uh, of his injuries, which is quite savage. If you think about uh, what they must have done to him, uh, you know, to blind somebody and for that to lead to that person dying is uh, not really worth thinking about, is it? No, I mean, we know that, um, I think we've we've touched on this in previous episodes, but blinding a man in Anglo-Saxon, Scandinavian England um, made them ineligible to become king so it was probably you know just a safeguard originally but i mean maybe they i know this is like i'm just uh thinking i mean a savage thing to think about maybe they pushed too hard and it yeah. went into his brain or, or we don't know I, I i doubt it would have been anything to do with infection because we know when you burn you know when you when you burn somebody uh, you, you cauterize the wound so um Either way, but at the same time, a tremendous strain on the human body to to imagine what that would do to you, um, especially obviously goes without saying without any pain medication or anything like that. An absolutely savage thing to be put through physically. Um, but I think one thing I'd uh, like to touch on before we move on is, um, and as I said, this is setting the stage for 1066, is um, it's quite interesting because obviously at this time we have Hartha Canute over still in Scandinavia who has heard that his, his half-brother Harold Harefoot has become king of England, and um, Harthur Canute was so busy consolidating power in Denmark and Norway that um, obviously he didn't have time to come back to England originally. But once he'd uh, achieved his his goals, he was planning to invade England. Now, what I think is quite interesting, if you think about it from Harthur Canute's point of view, is as Harthur Canute would see it, so his half brother has become king of England, but his half-brother has also killed his other half-brother because obviously Harthur Canute is the son of Emma and Alfred, who who Harold Herford had blinded and killed, was also his half-brother. Mm. And, they, and Harold Herford and Alfred would have been step-brothers of each other. So it's really like a big family mess here we, we start seeing. And um, as you can see, it's re- really setting the stage for, for what happens later on. Yeah, I think... Um... Again, so in terms of, uh, as we say, setting the stage, because I think if you look at um, Hastings, which is obviously where English history starts for most people, you know, it's like nothing happened before 1066. And I think on the whole, people, people, um, again, if you were to do my sort of conceptual uh, interview of the layperson in the street and those that actually uh, knew anything about history... I think they would broadly think it was English people fighting against French people, you know, that sort of... Uh, whereas, of course, um, I think the reality of Hastings was, in effect, it was um, Norsemen fighting Norsemen. Uh, I think that would be a, a, a better way of looking at it. And if we look at Godwin himself, Godwin was married to a lady called uh, Githa Thorkel's daughter. Now, Thorkel, Thorkel himself... I think we mentioned him in last week's episode. So Thorkel was uh, a Viking warlord uh, that came mm. that came in and was fighting against, um, I think, probably Athelred and maybe maybe his predecessor. Um, Athelred the Unread, 
Yeah, he was he was known as Thorkel the Tall, and he actually apparently um, was the guy that sort of taught Canute the, the ropes. When Canute was a very young man, Canute um, went into battle under the, the, the lead of Thorkel the Tall, and Thorkel taught him a lot of what he knew. So Harold Godwinson, uh, forever to be go down in history as the man with the arrow in his eye, um, his mother was actually uh, the daughter of Thorkel. Uh, so, uh, and we know, you know, without going into next week too much, that Godwinson, Harold Godwinson, um, practiced many traditional Viking um, practices, shall we say, um, as much as he did anything that was religious or, or Saxon. So uh, I, I think, I think to, to look at this period in history and divide people up between like English and Danes is, is wrong. It's an incorrect uh, way of looking at it. And I think if you look at the behaviour of the nobles, for instance, in terms of uh, whether they supported Ethelred or Canute, or whether they, whether they supported Edmund or Canute or Harold or Harthur Canute, etc. Um, I think it was it was done more on traditional sort of party lines, or uh, you know, rather than I don't think there was a uh, any. I don't pick up any sense of um, people saying, "Well, I'm English," you know, "I'm English, no. therefore I I must back the English candidate." That person is Danish, therefore they're the enemy. I don't think that's how it was at all. No, no, definitely not. So I, I think, obviously, people would have aspired to be king of England, but I doubt anyone themselves actually really thought themselves as English. You know, um, you would have seen yourself as like a Mercian or, or a man of Wessex mm -hmm. or a, as a Dane. Or, you know, I, I think that's the way it would have been. So the, the, the claim king of England would have been like, would have been like a title, but I don't think you would have actually thought of yourself as English. In those days, I think, as you said, most of these people were related, and if they weren't related, they were very involved in some way or another. I think one of the things we've talked about um, in, in increasingly over recent episodes is how um, how young most of the kings over the last hundred years how young they were and they died. So, Edmund Ironside was twenty six, Harold Harefoot was twenty four. Um, again, just to fill in the gaps, Harold Harefoot. Uh, died in Oxford, uh, so he, he was. Although he was of Danish, he was very much, um, you know, preferred to reside in in, in England. Uh, Arthur Canute himself was only say again exactly. He was twenty four uh, when he died. He was king for only two years, uh, and he died in Lambeth. Um, yeah. So I think I think we probably need to talk a bit about um, Edward. So uh, as a result, I mind if I just... yeah, go on. Sorry, I, I was, do you mind if I fill in some gaps yeah, just before good. we get yeah. on to Edward? So, um, yeah, so ha Harold died on uh, in Oxford on the 17th of March, 1040, at the age of 24. Um, at the time, he was pre preparing for an invasion from Harthur Canute. Um, we, we don't know exactly how Harold Herford died, but apparently he was taken by a sudden illness. Um, but what we need to know is that Harthur Canute came into England. He was planning to invade, but he was ended up being welcomed. He was made King of England. Um, and what's very important to mention, because, again, this really sets up what, why 1066 happened, one of the one of the variables, is that Harthur Knut made a deal with um, King Magnus the Good of, of Norway. So by this point, um, 
Norway was um, back under Norwegian control. Um, as I said, Hartha Knut was king of it for a while, um, but he didn't really like having anything to do with Norway. He tried to bring in Danish people to rule the place. The Norwegians revolted, and one of the, the son of one of the previous kings, I think it was King Olaf, was a man called Magnus, and Magnus managed to take the um, the crown in Norway. And after some jostling between Hartha Knut and Magnus, they actually came to an agreement. So Hartha Knut said, "You could be king of Norway, um, but you but." Magnus wanted to become king of Denmark as well. So he said that you can become king of Norway, but you're not having Denmark and we'll do each other a deal. Hathknut said, if I die and I don't have any children, you can become king of Denmark. If you die and you don't have any children, I can become king of Norway or my children can. Um, now, what's important to mention is that Hathknut didn't have any children. And Magnus, the good's son, was Harald Hadrada. Now, leading on to Edward... What's really important to mention is that when um, Hartha Knut died, um, and I'll quickly mention why he died in a second, um, very, very quickly, letting us plenty of time to, to set up the scene <laughs> for 10 But um, Hartha Knut didn't have a son, so well, King Magnus... Sorry, because he wasn't married. Yes, no, of course. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Ha he might have had some bastards. I'm sure he did, unless, unless he was sterile. But... Um, <laughs> But King Magnus the Good became king of Denmark. But what he disputed um, with Edward the Confessor, um, and even his son disputed it, was that he disputed that Hartharconut also promised him um, the throne of England if he died. Now, this was disputed. We don't obviously know exactly what Hartharconut promised Magnus. Maybe Magnus was completely justified in this, and he was thought that it was you know bound by honour, and so that it was his by right. Maybe... Magnus was, um, you know, you know, uh, expanding the truth a little bit to suit him and his um, and his aspirations. We don't 100 percent know. But um, what's important to mention is that Mag King Magnus's son is Harold Harada. And this is why Harold Harada thought that he was the rightful king of England in 1066. Now, leading on to Hartha Knut quickly, um, he was the successor of... Um, Harold. Sorry, the um, no, sorry, the pre yeah, the successor of Harold and the predecessor of Edward the Confessor. So he was um, king of England for some time. Not not anything particularly massive of note during uh, his reign. Um, he was only reign of, uh, king of England for two years because obviously he spent most mm. of his, uh, his his life in in Denmark. Um, but he died on the eighth of June, ten forty two, at the age of twenty four in Lambeth in England, um, and. We think that he died of a stroke. Apparently, he, he was at um, um, a, a friend of his wedding. He was at a wedding of a friend of his. Um, one of the great uh, chieftains of his father, Canute, was was marrying, um, um, uh, I think it was another Scandinavian woman, or at least she was by by birth. I can't remember exactly her name, but I remember thinking it definitely sounded more Scandinavian than Anglo-Saxon. But anyway, he was um, toasting them, and he got apparently got exceedingly drunk at their uh, wedding. And he dropped down dead, believedly, of a stroke. So mm. this is where Hartha Knut exits the picture. Yes, I think um, yeah, before we um, we uh, crown Edward, the, Edward uh, who, who became known as the Confessor, uh, and again, Edward, uh, the Confessor, is a saint. So he was canonised. Um, so uh, it's worth pointing out again, so Edward, the Confessor, was the seventh son 
of Athelred the Unready and uh, his wife Emma of Normandy. Uh, so Emma, this this is a theme running all the way through. And of course, William the Conqueror um, was the uh, great nephew of Emma of Normandy. Uh, just just to be clear, just to put in the uh, the family ties because this is all very important. I think the um, the, the the point you made about uh, Harold Hardrada was really useful, actually, uh, and and it's going to be very good in terms of um, people understanding why the battles happened in 1066. So when we we, yeah. we had we had this, the, the the scene with Alfred being blinded and and dying, uh, and, and and as part of that whole sort of um, intrigue, let's call it that, uh, Edward the Confessor uh, was in fear of his life. Uh, so he basically fled to Normandy. Uh, and this is this is very interesting. Again, again, you know, um, I think that um, a very basic and simple uh, view of uh, what you're taught or or how Hastings is portrayed. As I say, probably people would look at it. It was the English fighting against the French. People not really understanding who the Normans were. You know, particularly not understanding that they were Norsemen, um, and not understanding at all uh, the legitimacy and the relevance of the Norman part of that in what was already uh, ingrained into uh, the English court, for instance. So, mm. what we know is that Edward the Confessor lived in Normandy for many years. So bearing in mind that uh, although he ended up being the king of England for 24 years, he didn't actually become the king until he was 39. So in itself... Yeah, I, it, I think, so go on. Sorry to interject. No, I was going to say he spent, I think, as much as 30 years in Normandy. So I think in terms of how he would have been perceived and how he would have even acted and dressed, he would have come across as very much Norman. Yes. So um, yeah, what I was going to say is... Um, when you consider that, um, I think we've 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 got something like ten ten kings we've covered in the last two weeks uh, who died under the age of thirty, uh, and Edward himself uh, didn't become the king until he was thirty nine, and and then actually managed to live until he was sixty three. So that was that was uh, by the by the by the terms of the age was was quite an achievement. So as as Callum rightly says, um, Edward. Uh, resided at the Norman court. He was um, uh, he would have been uh, very close to. I think it was Richard the First of Normandy, um, who was I think William uh, Robert was was uh, William's father. I think actually. Um, so you know, Edward the Confessor was was in fact as as Callum says effectively uh, a Norman himself, and uh, one of the things that's very interesting about history is um and this is probably one of the most dramatic ones of all time so we had um alfred the great was uh the fifth son i think it was uh and uh, all 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 of his elder brothers uh predeceased him uh, and edward the confessor not only did he have several half brothers uh, two of whom became king before him um he was actually the youngest of seven children of ethelred and emma um so mm. this is a man who no way thought he was ever going to be king um, you know, he would have had no no pretensions to be king, wouldn't have thought he was going to be king. Um, but, you know, we have a situation in 1042 where the, the childless, unmarried Arthur Canute dies. Um, and I, I don't really think, from what I know, there was really 
uh, there were really any other candidates, uh, you know, of any great note. So Edward the Confessor oh. sort of picks up by default um, the crown of England. And I think what what's probably the most in, one of the most interesting things that starts off is if we then you know go back to the fact that Godwin uh, was hugely complicit in the the terrible murder of uh, of Edward's favourite brother Alfred, um, you know, particularly synonymous with that, um, it must have been a very trying time for Godwin uh, with Edward coming in as the king. You know, Godwin by this time is the dominant. Uh, his, well, he's he's the dominant person, and his family are the dominant faction. Uh, I mean, mm. you could almost argue um, when when uh, Canute was the king that Godwin was effectively the king. You know, you, you could yeah. you could you could make that point. So obviously, these were very um, trying times for Godwin. But for what, for whatever reason, and we're not entirely sure. Again, because of the the lack of of, of records, uh, for whatever reason, Edward decides that he is not going to make Godwin an enemy um and um and Godwin manages to retain go on oh, no, I was just going I was going just cuz I think it's it's quite interesting so he was at, uh Godwin was actually put on trial for Alfred's murder along with several other people and um apparently he quite uh, you know he didn't try and um hide anything he just said that he was simply fo following orders of the king of england at the time um and apparently you know he, he seemed to get in uh, edward's favor quite quickly he then um flattered edward quite a lot by um giving him by offering him a huge present then and there and apparently it was the greatest ship that had ever been seen um a massive warship that was of um, amazing detail with gold um, played um, parts of the ship, dragon head example, lots of like intricate carvings. Um, and apparently the ship would have been something, I can't remember, something ridiculous, like £60,000 in, in, in those days money to, um, you know, that that's how uh, expensive it was. So this got Edward's favour. And um, he basically said, OK, Godwin, you know, you, you were following orders. Um, you've you've pay, paid your debts. I'll, I'll let you be. Okay, so I think you know what's um, so uh, Edward Edward um, has gone down in history as I, I guess one of the greater kings actually, um, very pious, a very pious man, um, very religious as we say. Uh, that's I'm not quite sure um, exactly what he did uh, to to warrant being made a saint, but uh, he, he's 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 quite an important saint, especially uh, in, in for the English. Uh, you know, in the the eleven hundreds and twelve hundreds. Do you mind if I take a guess at why he made a saint? A saint? Mm -hmm. I think that he was probably made a saint to solidify Norman supremacy. Essentially, um, I, the Normans actually saw Edward the Confessor as the first Norman ruler of England, and as as we said before, Edward, in terms of the way he was, the way he looked, his accent, everything. Even, you know, all his nobles in court and everything he brought over from Normandy, which um, actually angered a lot of the, the, the Anglo-Saxon people and, the, and I suppose the, the Scandinavian people in, um, in England. And um, I think that they, he was probably made a saint later, you know, during Norman rulership post 1066 as a symbolism 
to symbolize Norman supremacy over the Anglo-Saxon uh, or the Anglo-Scandinavian people. Yeah, no, I think I think that's um, that's a very good point. Um, yeah, so as Callum says, and I think this is this is um, really significant. Uh, what we start to see when Edward is made the king of England is uh, basically Edward sees the Normans as his people. So he 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 he, he leaves England as, as quite a young boy. Um, all his formative years have been spent in the Norman court. He's become Normanized, I suppose you'd call it. Um, his his friends are Normans. His influences are Norman. Uh, so we start to see a, a Normanization of the English court. And of course, um, yeah. I don't suppose we'll ever really know this again because of the paucity of records. But you know, one one would imagine, um, one would imagine that actually the transition post Hastings was not perhaps quite so traumatic as it might appear. Uh, and certainly when I was um, on my bicycle last week, actually, I was thinking about the vagaries of fate. And I was wondering what what might have happened if, for instance, um, if Edward had properly um, legitimatized, legitimized uh, William's claim, for instance, during his lifetime, and let's just say that William had been able to succeed Edward, perhaps even while Edward was still alive, or most certainly with his blessing, would mm. would William have then gone on to be quite so brutal uh, to the English, or would he yeah. would he have been more like Canute was? I think that's a very fascinating debate, actually. No, definitely. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, you, you can definitely see the resentment uh, Anglo-Saxon people during this, during this time. I think, you know, as we keep saying, Edward grew up in Normandy and uh, what was sort of like an unprecedented move, move, even compared to, say, Canute or Harthur Canute, was that when Edward became king, he actually didn't have his court as, you know, the earls of... of uh, the Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. Um, he he brought in noblemen from Normandy and basically had them rule in their stead. And you know he didn't he didn't um, depose the earls or make these people the the earls in their place. He just brought a noble a load of nobility with him and just uh, basically had had them as as his court, which um, um, alienated a lot of the Anglo-Saxon people and. Um, started you know rubbing elbows bumping elbows with um godwin a fair bit at one stage i'm sure you i'm sure you've heard of this there's at one stage where there was um a nobleman from um, normandy coming over and he landed on the south coast of england um and i don't know the details of what happened but anyway the the, the people in the, the south coast of england rose up and um ended up killing this nobleman and Edward the Confessor ordered Godwin to punish the people, to you know, k- kill lots of the people of the town and and set fire to the place. And and uh, Godwin basically decided he had enough, and he outright refused. And oh, this yes, yes. This, uh, this actually led to um, Godwin um, being sort of exiled, or I'm not sure if he was exiled or if he left of his own accord because he was worried uh, you know, he, there'd be some, um, you know, for, for worried that. Of what the um, consequences would be for outwardly def- um, defying the king, 
But either way, he um, escaped Britain for a certain amount of time. I think I think he ended up in in Francia. But um, hmm. t- two of his sons, one of which was Harold Godwinson, went to Ireland, where apparently they were very very uh, sort of um, famous in Ireland and, and and were welcomed very much in Ireland. And um, they ended up returning to to England several years later, all unified as a family, all of Godwin's sons and Godwin. Um, with a great army, um, and apparently all of the English people, including the English Navy itself, actually basically said, "Okay, we're on Godwin's side." So Edward the Confessor was completely forced to um, give them back all of their titles. And um, by this point, Ed, um, Godwin was clearly as powerful as Edward the Confessor in England, if not on paper, certainly in reality. Right, so I think we've got six minutes to go, Callum, um, and we've we're we're I think you've, we've done a really good job of um, setting up next week's episode, the big, the big fight, possibly the biggest fight in English history, um, before mm. or since, probably the most famous uh, battle in English history. So just to um, again to sort of um, finish up, cross cross the T's and dot the I's, as they say. Yeah. So Edward himself, Edward the Confessor himself, was married to a lady called Edith of Wessex. And um, interestingly, they had no children, which obviously um, became quite a major problem. Uh, although, based on uh, the points Callum was making, um, probably wouldn't have stopped Harold Hardrada, for instance, b- believing he had no, a claim. Um, I think we should also point out that um, by uh, well before the end of Edward the Confessor's reign, in 1051, Edgar... Atheling was was born. Uh, Edward was the Ed, sorry Edgar. Edgar was uh, the grandson of Edmund Ironside, um, and so really um, on any on any strict um, succession line, uh, when Edward the Confessor died, Edgar Atheling should have become the king. Uh, he would have been fifteen years old, which I think was plenty plenty old enough. Uh, you know, for the for the standards of the time, you know, with 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 someone like Harold Godwinson uh, effectively being the Lord Protector or something, you know, that would have been yeah. a perfectly workable solution. It seems to me, um, Edgar Raffling himself went on to live a very long life, funnily enough. So he he's probably the 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 King of England that never was. I think that'd be a good book, Edgar Raffling, the King of England that never was. Um, and again, we won't, you know, we don't want to mess, 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 mess up our history too much. But one of the things that's very interesting, you know, we're talking about trying to get a, t- a true perspective on uh, the chess pieces that made up Hastings. Even after the uh, the victory of the Normans at Hastings, Edgar Raffling, for instance, was very heavily involved in Norman politics. So mm. Edgar Raffling uh, actually went to battle several times on the side of Robert of Normandy, for instance. Um, hmm. So it, it was it was all much more jumbled up than uh, the basic history books or what we're what sort of folklore has 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 told us. Um, yeah, do, do you mind if I do you mind if I um, just say something I forgot to say mm-hmm. earlier? So um, it's very important to mention that while God Godwin was in exile, or um, you know whether it was self self decided exile or exile by um, by Edward the Confessor. Um, during this time, William of Normandy, later to be known as um, William the Conqueror, 
um, spent a lot of time with Edward the Confessor in England. He travelled to England. And we think it's during this time, because of the rift between Edward the Confessor and Godwin, that Edward supposedly promised William the throne of England when he died. By this point, um, Edward was quite a sickly man. His health was failing and it was obvious to him that he wasn't going to have an heir. So we think that it was promised to William during this time, the throne of, of England. Now, what's important to mention, and this you can see where this gets so convoluted, is when William went back to Normandy and then the, all the Godwins came back to England and the relationship was repaired, um, the Godwins and Edward, you know, became friends again and, and, and you know, they would be in each other's courts and, and they got on very well and respected each other. And we think that during this time, um, Edward then actually promised the throne to Godwin's heirs. So what we have the problem is here is that Edward had promised the throne to two separate people. Um, whether he meant to send word to Normandy to say, you know, sorry, sorry, William, I'm, I'm mates with Godwin again now. His lot can be king. And he never got around to it or what? We don't know. As you said, we, we all really know that that chess piece in, in Scandinavia is set up. So Harold Harad is going to invade regardless. But this sets up the dispute between the Godwins and uh, William the Conqueror to be yeah. known. So um, yeah, t two minutes, so we're definitely not going to run over an hour today. Um, so I think it's just worth pointing out, we've been talking about the Godwin. So actually, by the time we get to the last 10 years of Edward's reign, uh, Godwin, Godwin has been uh, replaced effectively by uh, his eldest son, Harold Godwinson, who becomes the dominant force in England. Uh, and it's actually Harold who's promised the crown rather than Godwin's children. Um, and the thing that really um, that really causes the problem is Godwin, uh, Harold Godwinson, actually, uh, for a time, uh, was revered by the Normans. Um, he he ended up in in Normandy, I think, having got shipwrecked. Um, and there's a there's a, a great story about where he showed tremendous courage uh, with two of William's uh, knights um, in 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 sinking sand about to die and and harold basically uh who was considered he was actually a tremendous giant and a tremendously a brilliant physical specimen um risked his life to save these two norman knights and was very much uh lauded he was then uh he was then knighted i don't know if you know this he was knighted by william uh to thank wow. him to thank him for what he did but the sting in the tail viewers with our 50 seconds left to go the sting of the tail was that as part of the of the ceremony where Harold was knighted by William, uh, the person that was knighted had to swear allegiance uh, to the person that knighted them. So, ah, so, so, a, so actually what caused the big problem here was not so much whether Edward had told Harold that he was going to be the king, is that the Normans considered that Harold broke his blood oath uh, because he he basically swore allegiance to his liege lord, as 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 William saw it, uh, and that should have been enough. So, viewers, wow. we find ourselves now um, in 1066. Edward has died. Harold Godwinson has grasped the throne, um, and I think to be fair, uh, there was no real uh, choice. There was no real given the the sensitive nature. Uh, I think that. Probably at the time, at the beginning of Harold Godwinson's reign, uh, the biggest threat was actually seen to be Harold Hardrada. I think he was he was 
probably considered to be the greatest warrior in Europe, uh, Harold Hodrada, an amazing fighter, had won many, many battles, had a tremendous um, army. <laughs> and, and, and I think that uh, Harold Godwinson was, was by far the most powerful man in England and therefore... Um, it, it was not really any choice. I think people sort of it was a bit like how Winston Churchill got to be the leader in the the Second World War mm. would be a, would be a good analogy. So Harold himself was born in 1022, so he was no spring chicken uh, when he became king of England. Um, so this is the, uh, the the start of so this we've we've gone the House of Wessex, House of Denmark, uh, the House of Godwin, uh, but of course this only lasts for uh, nine months. Harold himself, just a final note, Harold himself was actually the first monarch in English history to be crowned in Westminster Abbey uh, with 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 all of the sort of usual paraphernalia that we would associate today with that. So we're going to leave today. Um, we're going to leave you. Um, we've got Harold having got his day in the sun. He's sitting in Westminster Abbey as the King of England. Uh, but he has many, many battles to come. So... Um, as always, Callum, thank you very much for today, for your genial and expert advice. Um, thank you. It's quite sad, actually, to get to nearly the end of our series. We've only got one, yeah, part, one part to go. It's been a lot of fun doing this with you. Um, so we hope you enjoy uh, today's uh, episode. It's been one of the better ones to do, I think. It's, it's pivotal in, in history. And Callum and I look forward to seeing you next week. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Cheers.